So last week we uh, we ended with Paul speaking to the church about some very serious things about how he lived his life. In Philippians chapter three, we we uh, we ended in verse I think nine or ten, and it says. In verse, uh, in verse 10 here, actually verse 7. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Probably turn down the game, guys. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. It is by faith. The only righteousness that we have, righteousness is a word that we kind of throw around. You know, hey, he's self-righteous. What does that mean? Right standing with God. These words, these theological words, right standing with God, righteousness. Justified is another one. Justified never sinned. Another way to remember that one. But right standing with God. How are we right with God? And and Paul lays this out because there were those in the church who would say, you know what? We know that Jesus died for your sins, but you also have to be circumcised. You also have to keep portions of the law in order for God to accept you. And if you don't do those things, then God's not going to, he, he, you're not saved. Paul says, you know what? I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I kept all the laws. If you wanted to look to someone who, if they could look at their own life and say, gosh, based upon the works they did, I am Mother Teresa to the 10th power. That was Paul. Right? I mean, he was the ultimate. Obviously, he didn't care very much about the Christians. In his early life, he murdered them. He was zealous for God. He followed the law to a T. He would write in Romans that the purpose of the law is a schoolmaster. It's to show us that we need to be saved. It's not so that we can be saved by the law. So he goes in great depth. So when you see what it says, do not lie, and you you realize that you're a liar, for if it wasn't for the law, you wouldn't realize that this is going within you. So the law doesn't save it. It, it, it shows you that you need to be saved. We had a bench up here that said, wet paint, do not touch. No, I'm touching. You know, I'm like, I'm going to sit on it, roll on it. You know, I mean, I'm just, it's horrible. But that's the law at work. Do not. It shows that you want to. That it's in there. That flesh that Christ wants to come and crucify, take out of your life, save you from, continually making us more like Jesus every day. And Paul is saying, listen, the way to salvation, once you receive Christ, is not to go back to good trust in your good works in order to be saved. The way that you say we're saved in Christ is the way that we grow in Christ, through faith. The way that we're 
we've been saved is the way that we stay and continue in Christ. Not that we can be removed, but that's how we grow. By faith. When the Word says to do this so that you would have life, we see an incapacity in our hearts to say, gosh, you know, I'm just incapable of that. Nevertheless, it says, step out. Let God be that power through you to go do it. And that's how we grow in Christ, in our character, in our attitude, in evangelism, or, or whatever you want to call it, in, in, in raising our kids. How many of you feel totally inadequate? How many of you there? And so Paul is saying, hey, it's not through the law that we're saved, nor are we empowered, or, nor is this the, the Christian life. Now, obviously, we're not saved to be lawless. Amen? Somehow we've got that in our minds that we can go ahead and do whatever we want. The blood of Christ has saved us so we can go live like heathens. No, we're to be people who live by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is to possess us and control us. That's an awesome life. And he says, I want to know Christ. He says, all this other stuff, I counted as dumb. That's the word. I've, I've counted as refuse. All these wonderful things that I've accomplished, they mean nothing. They cannot gain me any acceptance, righteousness before Christ. Perfect attendance, tithing. How many people you've brought to Christ, all this stuff. Again, I want to I want to beat this into our, our minds, our psyche. That we do those things because we're saved. Amen? It's a response. It's worship. And he goes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of the sharing of his sufferings. I want to know him fully, not just the good stuff, but the hard stuff. I want to be fully identified with Christ, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead, there's this full identity with Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is, is getting at, that we are to be Christians. We're like Christ. We're fully identified with Jesus Christ in his life and also in suffering and in death, and we will be like him in the resurrection. That's the promise all the way through. But we like to edit. Jesus said, and you will suffer. I don't like that promise. That's not on my fridge. I didn't write that with, you know, lipstick on my mirror or whatever it is. Praise the Lord. He says, I want to know Christ. That word know is gnosko. You need to know that. <laughs> gnosko. It means to learn, to know, to come to know, to get a knowledge of, to perceive, to feel, to understand. The Jews use that as an idiom for uh, marital intimacy. To know someone. We see that in the Old Testament, any newer, any newer, right? But it's just the idea of just that full connection with God in every single level of our lives. To have a relationship with God on the deepest level possible. And this is where we get the term to know Him, to have that personal relationship. People knock, you know, hey, it doesn't say anywhere personal relationship when you read about Jesus Christ. No, it says it. It's to know, to know him intimately. That's what the whole, that embodies that. It's all about knowing. What does it say in John 3, John 1, 17? I don't know. I'm dyslexic this morning. This is eternal life. To know the one true God, Jesus Christ, you can say. That's eternal life, to know him. That's powerful. It's not just know about him, but it's known intimately. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. 
and the fellowship of the sharing of his sufferings to become like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. I want to identify with Jesus on every level. Some of you are experiencing that in the suffering of your body. Some of you are experiencing that in the suffering of getting persecuted. Some of you are, are feeling that uh, spiritually every single day as you, as you crucify the flesh and you follow after Jesus. You're identifying with Christ. You know, that's, that's one of the things that's interesting that we're going through a book about suffering and what's been happening in our fellowship. That the Holy Spirit's trying to encourage us and to guide us in the midst of it. I think He is. Not that I, not that I think we, you know, we take joy in the things that are going on in our body. I don't whatsoever. It's hard. But the answer to this is not, it, well, the world's answer is hopelessness. And we gravitate towards that. I don't know about you. Do, I, do you gravitate towards hopelessness when you feel pain in your body for whoever and ever, or you see someone you love and you have no control over it? There's meaning and hope. And God's saying, hey, I, I want to minister to your body here that, that this is part of this life. And I want you to have victory in it. Not that we run around, you know, you know, great, I just got, you know, Decapitated, wonderful, you know. No, but there's a joy, a, a peace that passes all understanding going through our lives. No matter what's going on, there's a there's an anchor of our soul because it's Jesus Christ. We've been identified with him. He is in us. His Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. And while we might not understand the outcome like Paul, while we've been jailed, imprisoned, or going through hard times, we might not see that. We might not see the end. We know the end of the story. We know that God is with us. We know He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we hold on to these things. Amen? I want to identify with Jesus on every level. Not that I have already obtained all this. Paul's talking about something pretty awesome. I love this. Or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Christ Jesus took hold of Paul so that he would know God. And this is true abundant life, to know Christ, to live in step with him, to live for him. He is our pride. God took hold of you for a purpose, and that purpose is found in him. Where do we go for that purpose? Go to the source. Amen? Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this. This is not finished. I'm not perfect. I'm still a work in progress. How many of you would look at a guy like Paul and go, wow. Jeez, that's the standard. I'm, you know, Paul's like, hey, I am not done. I'm still going. I'm not perfect. God's still perfecting this work in me. The danger of thinking we've arrived is scary, amen? We get stuck and we get stagnant in our faith when we feel like there's nothing else to lose, nothing else to uh, learn. But he goes on, it says, but one thing I do do. Yeah, one thing I do do. One thing I do. <clears throat> one thing I does. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we think there's nothing more to work on. No new ground to take for the kingdom. How many of you are there? 
No more people to win. No more victories to have. I'm done. I don't know how. The longer the, the, the that I walk in the Lord, I think the, the more uh, prone to stagnation I get. The more prone to just giving in to Christian culture, giving in to this and that, instead of fighting. Amen? Pushing forward in that relationship with Jesus and seeking. Get back in the oven. You're not done yet. Amen? I don't know why I wrote that. I thought it was funny to myself. <laughs> we don't like fire, do we? I don't like fire. Yeah, I know you guys have a crazy pastor. <laughs> okay, obviously the Holy Spirit, thank you. Verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I love Paul. It's, you know, I know you're wrong, but give it some time. God will have you come around to it. Paul was gracious and patient, wasn't he? We're not all going to see eye to eye on things. You know, some people have been walking with the Lord for a long time and they see something and it's just not worked out in someone who's younger. Amen? Needs time. God's going to work through them. Give them a little patience. And eventually God will, God will get around to teach them these things. Only let us live up what we've already attained. In other words, you're not responsible for what you haven't attained. You're responsible for what you do know. What you've been in. I love that about Paul. He's saying... Even if you aren't with me on this yet, you still have to live up to what God's already revealed to you. You're responsible for that. So join with others, verse 17, and following my examples, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Paul isn't being egotistical here. He just admitted that he hadn't arrived, but yet he was living his life in such a way to where he could say, follow me. As I follow Christ. That's powerful. And that's that's our goal. Is to shine Jesus so much through our lives. That we can say, follow me. I'm not going to lead you astray. I'm pointing you to Jesus. The way I live, the way I act, the way I interact with people, what my, my message, my lifestyle, everything about me. It shines Jesus. I'm led by the Holy Spirit. He says, not only me, but look at the other people who live like that live after them. You know what that's called? Discipleship. Jesus takes these 12 guys and he hangs out with them for a long time. Spending life with them, talking about things. They were mimicking him. You see it played out in Acts. When, like say, they had to resurrect the dead, they did exactly what he did. But they mimicked him. And Timothy one twenty, and that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Older women to younger women, right? Guys with the younger men. Raising up disciples. Life on life. This is four uh, verse eighteen. For as I have often told you before now, say again, even with tears many have lived as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame, and their mind is on earthly things. That earthly things. Remember, on, in Revelation, went through Revelation, when it's talking about the people, kingdoms of the earth, 
There's this, there's this carnality that God will eventually judge. If you're living for this kingdom, you will be judged with this kingdom. If you're living with his kingdom, you will be with this kingdom. That's the heart of someone who's Christ. You're not of this world. Right? We're truly not of this world. That doesn't mean we're space cadets. He's put us here for a mission. We're ambassadors. We're to take a little slice of heaven and bring it down here to, to the world so they can see the kingdom. We have now been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God is now in light. God is now our father. And just as our earthly children mimic their fathers, we are now to mimic our father and learn what it's like to live in that kingdom and his values. Fairness. Is God all about fairness? He's about justice. And he will be just in his judgment, but fairness. Life is not fair. He's not out to make it fair. But he will be just. But he is in the fact that what you've been given, you will be accountable for. You're not going to be accountable for what someone else has been given. Amen? That's a different value than this world. So, he goes, their mind is on earthly things. So those who are earthly minding, being ruled by their stomachs, their desires, their passions, etc., and do not deny themselves and follow Christ daily. That's the essence of this. They're, they're earthly minded. They're not focused on the cross. They're enemies of the cross, Paul says. Paul's broken by this and is warning the church not to think this is okay, but rather to imitate those who are truly following Christ. We're no longer citizens of the earth. Earthly things cannot rule us, should not rule us, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. We're almost done. Believe it or not, that's not even halfway. Like that last week, I was joking. I said, when you're almost done, you're not really almost done because Paul said that. Get the tape. But our citizens, we don't even have tapes anymore. But our, get the digital download. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, that's awesome power will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I love that. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What power is that? That's amazing power. Because, you know, Jesus has the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. I can control nothing. Our nation, we can't control anything. We can't control our spending. We can't control you know, what, what we do. I mean, there's, there's no control in this world. It's out of control. Amen? I mean, I'm not knocking it, but I mean, it's human nature. We are, we're just out of control. The very little control we have is not always spirit-led, you know what I mean? It's with the iron fist and anger and shooting people and stuff. I mean, there's, it's just chaos out there. But Jesus, with the power that he has to bring all things under his control, not all things is spiritual, that's things seen, unseen, governments, authorities, dominions, powers, people, will bring everything under his control, his lordship. That's where it's all heading. That's pretty cool power. I dig that power. I love that about God. I don't want to trust in the God with anything less. Because these things that, I've, that I'm scared of are pretty powerful. The things that can crush me are pretty powerful. Amen? But that's why he says, don't fear. 
the person who can kill your body, but fear the one who can take your soul and throw it into hell. And also can save you from that. Amen? <laughs> so fear him. And he says there, he says, who by the power enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That is so cool. To go through walls, you know, to fly, to eat food, to hear people that, you know, when they're not there. Just a bunch of really neat stuff. Four-dimensional body at least. Who knows? We look at that in the book of Acts. Jesus appearing, unappearing, hearing conversations when he's not there, appearing and reciting the conversations, flying up. I'm telling you, we're going to have a, you know, Matt 2.0 is going to be way cool. The radiance of the glory of Christ upon us, we're going to shine. We're going to shine. You're going to shine. These tents are not permanent. That's not the permanent deal. They are worn out. They're breaking down. They're hurting. And we're praying about it all the time. And we're suffering with one another. But those things will be shed off. We'll be kick off this tent, which is meant for this earth. And we will be awesome bodies. And I often think and imagine, you know, what will our, our vision spectrum be? We're limited. What will be our, our how, how much can we hear? And if there's no air for sound to bounce off, how does that work? You know, I mean, sorry, I think about this stuff, I know. But I mean, think about it. You want to be somewhere and you're there. I like this stuff. You can eat too. I like about the eating. There's a lot of eating in heaven. Seriously. Not to go crazy, but, you know, they, they accuse Jesus of being a wife and liver and a glutton, you know? You like to eat. I mean, God created food. That's pretty good. You go up there and feast. The very first thing you do have a feast. So Paul reminds the people that just as we are to be fully identified with Christ and Jesus in our lives, through our faith, our persecution, our relationships with each other, the suffering we experience, just as we are embrace Christ in those ways and all those years, we're also going to experience the resurrection. That's a promise. So be identified with him now. Embrace Jesus now. And it's going to be all the more glorious when we see him face to face. How much joy is that going to be? But live like it's true because it is. Knowing that every ache and pain in your body will be satisfied in that moment. Every fear that you have will be taken away. When he sees you, you look into his eyes. He will wipe away every tear. But live for him now. Live. Suffer. Identify with him now. That's exciting. That's what we're about. Hardship is hard, and I'm praying for each of you. I know you're going, I look out and I see it just every face. But our hope is not here. Again, allowing the Holy Spirit, I know you already are, but just allow Him to speak to your hearts in this way. Remind you of the big picture so that you're not living for here. 
so that you're empowered, and I think, with the power that you have to have while you're here. The power that is not of this earth. So in closing, 1 Corinthians 15.50. At the last trump, we will be as he is. It says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So pinch yourself and tell, and tell yourself, this is not going to the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash and a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound. The dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe, be clothed with, clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written becomes true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all hard. I encourage you to go for that. Very time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the hope that you give us that this is not the end. That these bodies that we have, um, as much as we enjoy them when we're younger, Lord, it's not so much anymore. And we, we thank you that we even have them, that we can express our innermost being through them. But Lord, when, when that time comes, when we are unable to do that, Lord, you and your grace release us from these bodies. We have promised a new body. And we look forward to that day that we, just as we are identified here on earth with you, Lord Jesus, we will be identified with you in the resurrection and therefore never born. Nothing can take that away from us, Lord. Let us rest in it and be our bedrock as we go through hard times together. We do ask for your, your mercy upon us, Lord, that if there's any unnecessary suffering that you lift it, Lord, that you would heal the brokenhearted, the people whose bones are hurting today, that you would minister to their souls by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. So may you reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ, not putting any hope in the flesh, and trust in Jesus fully this week. Amen? All right.